Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, a show about basketball, a show about the Mavericks, a show about math, a show about numbers, boards, and all that those things imply. My name is Bobby Corella. It's Studio 41 Radio on 97 One The Freak. It's Mavs YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you are in the world. We hope you're having a fantastic day, weekend, month, year, and uh, you're going to have a lot of time to enjoy the summer. <laughs> And talking, joining me today to talk about his summer plans on Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks, is the great Jeff Skin, Wade Skin. How soon are you going to Cancun? Uh, we are going to do a senior trip. It's up to uh, Maya Wade to decide where we're going to go here in the Ooh. ensuing months. We have a few plans, uh, but nothing concrete to report to the media at this time. Okay. Is, is Maya kind of shaken up about going 38 and 44, or is she doing okay? Uh, I don't know if she's aware that the Mavericks played this year or not. It's not really <laughs> one of her priorities. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I would say she's not shaken up by those events. Well, that's all right. I mean, honestly, given the way it went, man, you finish 11th, uh, you lose like 90 out of your last 91 games. Maybe ignorance is bliss in that regard. What do you think? I think you're right. And I think that I have been fully liberated to say, let's go thunder. Are you kidding me? What a, what a fun team to root for. Oh man, they are. And now, you know, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, fresh off their win in new Orleans. Um, We don't know what happened whenever they, they headed up to the tundra in Minnesota, but I like the thunder's chances in that game too. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going to like win the championship or win a game and if they do make the playoffs or anything but man the future looks future looks awfully bright up by 35 let me just say before even knowing what happens in minnesota on friday night i think the thunder won it all this year i mean when you look at what <laughs> oh, let's go <laughs> you know it's amazing man if you had told me uh when chet holmgren went down with a season-ending injury that they would uh knock the mavericks or be one notch ahead of the Mavericks in the playoffs. I would have been like, what? What horrible injuries did we sustain? It's like, well, not really any. They it's, get uh, him back just next that year. Kind of year. They get him back next year. And yeah. if they, I, I don't quite know how it works. So like if the Thunder end up do winning the play-in and make the playoffs, I don't know if they maintain their spot in the lottery because technically they are in the lottery um, as the number 10 seed. They have, I think like the 14th best record or maybe the 13th best record or something so or the best odds so there's like a chance that the thunder could get extraordinarily lucky and get another top four pick right yeah and i don't i haven't looked they seem to have three or four first round uh picks every year for the next decade so i'm not sure what else they're sitting on this year i i honestly think that they're in the position now where they start moving picks uh for veterans um you know they have to look at whatever their, that next step is uh, because obviously you can make a legitimate case for Shea Gilgis Alexander to be first team all NBA. I don't think he gets it, but he's in the conversation. Giddy was an amazing pick. They got some young players that play, you know, both ends of the floor. So now they got to look around and go, okay, what puts us in the real conversation? I, I, uh, I always thought it on uh, Mavs live this year at the beginning of the year, we were having these conversations about, you know, the Thunder wanting Victor, like all these other teams want Victor, and should they trade Shea Gilgis Alexander because that helps their chances of doing it. I did not imagine. I mean, I love the player. I thought he was really good. I did not imagine he would 
make the leap he's made this year. Good God, what a badass. We will eventually talk about the Mavs, I promise. But the, the one last <laughs> thunder thought I have, Skin, is... We're basketball nerds. Yeah. Shea, Josh Giddy, even Dort. Mm-hmm. Dude, they're rookies. Uh, both Jalen Williamses, they are all cool as a cucumber. They're yeah. like the most unfazed. I mean, Josh Giddy was like the only Thunder player who showed a little emotion in that game. And that's only whenever he was telling former Mav great Josh Richardson to not hit him below the belt. You know, like right. otherwise they are totally calm, cool, collected, super duper good poise for like a bunch of teenagers. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, did you see the Mavericks play this year? I don't know. I, did you catch uh, that? I watched them a few times. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Poise. You know, they had poise at times. Skin. What? Uh, they did have poise at times. Not enough. Um, I guess on that note, it's time to talk about it. Uh, the Mavs, they finished their season a little earlier than we thought. Uh, last year, we were working until Memorial Day, Skin. That was whenever the Mavs finally bowed out in the Western Conference Finals. This year, didn't make it quite as far. Uh, they didn't even make it to the final game of the playing game. We're sitting 11th place in the Western Conference. And now we're counting ping pong balls. It's not a spot that anybody wanted to be in or anyone expected to be in, even as recently as like a month ago. And yet here we are. And so last week on the corner three, I asked Isaac and Katia, um, how will you remember this season? And not just like what happened on the floor, but sort of the, the experience of watching, in your case, analyzing and commentating on and really consuming and thinking about Mavs basketball. Um, what is it, what, what was it like for you to, uh, digest this? There's no way around it. I mean, just extremely disappointing season. Well, I think from the, uh, going through it process, I think you just, for me, I had to compartmentalize my disappointment in the team, uh, cause there's ultimately a job to do and the job can't be moping around about your situation. Right. So the jobs to be a Homer. The jobs to be a homer. And, you know, one of the things is like, I think there's different types of quote unquote homerism. Like if you talk to the producers at a sports network, they're like, oh no, we don't want any homers. Uh, But if you look at every regional broadcast, they're clearly pulling for their team. Like my life is better when the Mavericks are winning and, and doing well. That just makes my life better. Not only because I'm a lifelong fan of the team, but there's all this residual effect that's great and makes my life better. So I want the Mavericks to win. I think anyone that tunes in to our broadcast with me and Harp and Followell, sometimes Leslie McCaslin's on there. I think it's obvious we want the Mavericks to win, but I don't think personally that we ever do blind homerism. Um, I don't think we do that. I mean, everyone's got their own opinion on it. I think, you know, it's pretty obvious when you watch us that me, Harp, and Followall all love basketball. And we all, you know, have different degrees of knowledge about the game that, you know, is I feel like is substantial, especially in the case of Harp. But um, but I want the team to win and and I'm rooting for the team to win, but that doesn't mean that I can't see what their flaws are. I mean, we had uh, on the Ben and Skin show, we've had Nico Harrison on several times this year. And if you were to go back and listen to the Nico Harrison interview we did right after the trade, uh, we were talking to Nico about this team not having enough defense and, you know, to, to make a sustainable run. And so, you know, when we made the Porzingis trade, I looked at that as a step back to take two steps forward, but I thought it was going to hurt their chances in, in that season. 
It didn't. It helped him get to the Western Conference Finals. I never could have anticipated Spencer Dinwiddie doing what he did for this team based on what the earlier part of the season was for him. So that was a, a lot of fun. Then when they made the trade for Kyrie Irving, my thought was, okay, losing Dorian Hurts, you know, just from a production standpoint, Kyrie's more production than Spencer, but Spencer gives you a lot. So I think it hurts the team this year, but ultimately it's a move to get better faster. And I also thought that if the Mavericks could just get in the tournament, that they could cause some damage, right? Uh, I think ultimately it's pretty obvious the way the last two games went, the Mavericks felt differently. And then in hindsight, it didn't matter because the Thunder won out. So uh, it was too little, too late. We've talked a lot about the Charlotte weekend, the lost weekend that was and what that means. But, you know, now they're in the position of they know what they need, but all of that is going to be moot if Kyrie Irving doesn't come back uh, or, you know, there's a there's a degree of whether or not they can sign and trade him if he has some place he wants to go and what they get back in return. So even before we talk about their glaring needs, they got to figure out moving forward is Kyrie Irving a part of it. Yeah, and I, I think in the in the next segment, um, I got a bunch of numbers about why they kind of why they were uh, so disappointing and, and, and why they okay. underperformed this year. And I want to get your thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, but talking about the needs, I want to go back to last summer. Okay. Um, now Nico was kind of like almost defensive about it in his exit interview. He said that he did not say last summer that they needed to add rebounding and size and stuff, but it's clearly they did. I mean, they added Christian Wood. They added JaVale McGee. That was kind of their, uh, at, at the expense of essentially of Jalen Brunson. Um, they didn't get Wood and McGee because they lost Brunson, but like that was the change to the roster, mm -hmm. uh, right. more or less. And um, the implication was from somebody, I don't remember who, maybe it was JK, maybe it was Mark, maybe it was just fan sentiment in general. Um, but the implication was that the Mavs lost to the Warriors because they just couldn't contain Kevon Looney on the glass. They they needed more rim protection. Right. And I, I I said at the time, maybe even with you, or maybe it was on Twitch, or maybe it was on other shows, I don't really know, um, that I didn't think that was the case. I didn't think they lost to the Warriors because they didn't have a big man. I think they lost to the Warriors because Steph Curry was just kicking their ass in the perimeter, and they just could not contain dribble penetration from Jordan Poole, and they could not box out Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter and Gary Payton, like the, all, all the little guys, like the smaller guys, were the ones that were really hurting them on the glass. I thought that the Mavs needed to bolster their perimeter defense. Um, I didn't really think they needed to upgrade at big. Now, I think getting Wood uh, added talent at a relatively low cost, uh, four mm -hmm. roster spots and a first-round pick that you would have used on Hardy anyway. Um you traded two twos to get Hardy, but you could just say they traded two twos for Wood and they used the first on Hardy. It's all the same in the end, uh, right. generally. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with adding JaVale just to add another big because you do need size throughout the regular season. But I think their issue now is the same as it was last summer. Uh, I think they need more perimeter defenders. You said it yourself. They traded Dorian. They get worse on the perimeter and they were already yeah. pretty thin uh, right. in, in that department. And that only was compounded whenever Maxi's hamstring ripped in half. Uh, right. And then he came back extraordinarily quickly, but was not the same guy. You know, you're talking about last season, being able to rely on Dorian, Reggie Bullock, and Maxi Kleba, all with the ability to switch one through four, basically. Maxi can yep. guard fives, maybe not one, so he can go two through five.
but three guys that are pretty much, I mean, premier level versatile defenders. And Dallas just had this awesome defense that carried them through the playoffs. Well, after the Kyrie trade, you lose Dorian. You're already down Maxi at that point. And now it's just Reggie and Josh Green. And I think Josh can eventually get there, but he's not ready for that yet. And so going into this summer, whether or not Kyrie stays, I think you need way more versatile, switchable defenders. You look at the Pelicans, man, they got Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. Uh, you look at like every team has two, three, four of those guys, and right. the Mavs need to get back to that level ASAP. I mean, how great would it? I'm not trying to do the uh, tampering thing, but what if you had a player like Jared Vanderbilt? Like, think about how many things he solves. So you hit on a couple things there about and I, the reason I think they lost to the Warriors, just overarching, you used the word thin. By the time they got to the Western Conference Finals, dude, they were pretty physically cooked. Mm -hmm. And I think, I can't remember, Bobby, if it was game one or game two, maybe it was game two where they got up early yep. and, then, and then started, you know, kind of falling apart. And that was their chance, right? That was the moment where... You know, David had the rock and the slingshot. And he dropped it, went, oh, crap. And he looked up and Goliath went, well, see you later. <laughs> so it's like uh, their margins were slim and they were worn out by the time that they got there. So that's... And, I want to I say, that's not an excuse. That is no, that's a built-in criticism. They only had five, yeah. six guys that they could play. Right, right, right. And, and that's the other thing that kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier about quote-unquote homerism. I mean, criticism, I think there's this connotation that when things don't go right, if you don't go, this team sucks, that guy sucks, it's his fault. That's, well, I mean, that's one style of criticism. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly uh, constructive style of criticism or reasonably analytical. I think it's more emotional. But like anybody that pays attention to basketball can watch this team and know that it's not there. Nico said as much like several times the front office knows they don't have the roster they think is going to win a championship, but there's got to be steps to get there. And in the NBA, the first thing you do is do you have your rock stars in place? You know what I'm saying? Like if you have a good bass player and a good drummer, doesn't matter if you don't have a lead singer, bro, that band ain't going to do anything. So they got, they, if they resign Kyrie, they have that now with Kyrie and Luca, and now they have to get the things around them. And you're right. They don't have enough perimeter defense. And not only did that crew that was doing all the heavy lifting get cooked last year, this year one was gone and one was severely compromised. And I think reasonably speaking, looking at ages and injuries, I love Maxi Kleba. I'm a big believer in him, but I look at him moving forward and go, you've got to minimize the amount of wear and tear on his body because he's got a long in injury history. Why do you think Maxi Kleba didn't show up on NBA radars until – later in his development cycle right no one even knew his name and he was already in his you know kind of early mid-20s you know he had injury history before right and so once a guy has an injury history you have to take that into account with everything in terms of your team building and all that kind of stuff so Maxie's role needs to be reduced moving forward they need a replacement for Dorian and then Josh even Josh Green is so different defensively than what Dorian Finney-Smith is and I'm not even talking about acumen I'm talking about physicality and length um, Dorian was the best chance you had at throwing someone at a Kevin Durant style of player you can't throw Josh Green at a guy that long that handles it and expect him to have the same results it's at least that, yet yet but I also, you know, Josh Green is always going to be that size. 
That's the size he's always going to be. I doubt he gets taller and longer. He's he's the kind of guy that you put on. I'm trying to remember. We saw it in the last one. Oh, when they made the early sub and put him on De'Aaron Fox against Sacramento. Remember, mm. they went to the bench much quicker mm. uh, because the kind of guy that Reggie covers is a little bit normally he's going to have more effective on a guy that's not a De'Aaron Fox style player which kind of underscores the point. You need to have multiple versatile defenders that can do multiple things. They have to have that. Um, back to your rebounding point, you know, it was very clear, like, yes, Kevon Looney was a problem and they didn't really have anybody to stop him. I think in the modern NBA, you want to have a bunch of styles that you can play effectively and you want to have a flexible roster. So I kind of went, what? When they said, oh yeah, JaVale McGee is our starting center. I was like, uh, against some teams, you know, it's like that's not really his role, but it's been the last few years for other NBA teams, and he's good against a certain style of player. Like, you have to have a JaVale type. You have to have a Dwight type. You have to have a Maxi type. Christian Wood's a very unique type, but they need an, another springy style long defensive presence back there that rebounds and block shots and can be effective in the pick and roll game. They do need that. They need another one of those guys, but to your point, they don't have near enough versatile perimeter defense. And that is, I think the number one thing they have to focus in on once they figure out if Kyrie is or isn't going to be here. Yeah. I mean, the main reason that they were able to beat Utah last year in the first round is because they had two guys that could, not stop Donovan Mitchell, but just make life tough on him in Dorian and Reggie. And then everybody else, the way the Mavs defend, they're occasionally going to put a little extra pressure on the ball, sort of like this token double team. And uh -huh. then they're going to rotate their butts off, right? Everybody right. can recognize not only where I need to be now, but where I need to be after the next pass that I know is coming, right? Yeah. You have all these very high IQ defensive players. They were able to cover a ton of ground. Utah took like 45 threes a game last year, whatever. But in that series, they took like 25. I mean, they were just not getting. And most of those threes were like pump fake, sidestep, have to take a dribble. And that's all of that stuff kind of knocks you off your rhythm. And so Utah was just unable to throughout that series get clean looks. Same thing happened against Phoenix. This year, however, because you have less pressure on the ball, you have less effective pressure on the ball. And frankly, you had less effective rotational defenders too. Uh, mm -hmm. You're giving up way more open threes. You're giving up way more dribble penetration, therefore way more uh, shots at the rim and all that stuff. And I think where the Mavs size or lack thereof hurts them is whenever they do get in scramble situations, they don't have a lot of positional size to where all of a sudden their three man is now having to box out Kevon Looney. Well, yeah. if your three is six, eight, that's pretty tight. If your three is like six foot four, Jaden Hardy, you're six foot five, Tim Hardaway Jr. You're, you don't have a chance, you know? So yeah. I think they need more size like throughout the roster. It's not just at your one uh, your one big spot down low. And then also you need more guys. Nico mentioned this in his next interview too. More like this is not a slight to the players on the team. It's just the reality. More high IQ defenders that are able to recognize that are not slow to rotate. Christian Wood sometimes slow to rotate. Tim sometimes slow to rotate. Luca right. sometimes slow to rotate. You need everybody on the floor to be able to anticipate what's going to happen because defense, the way the Mavs play, their system is not five sets of one-on-one. -on -one. It is five fingers on a hand that all have to move in perfect coordination. Otherwise, you're going to give up something that's wide open. 
Yeah, when you talk about high IQ, you're talking about reading and anticipating, and it's not just the first rotation guy, it's the next rotation guy, because he also has to read if the other rotation guy's doing rotating properly and make adjustments on the fly about that. It's all It all works in concert. It's all the fingers in a glove, and last year they had it, and this year they weren't even close. And so when Jason Kidd was asked, what's the biggest problem this team has, and he says chemistry, He's not talking about the guys necessarily not liking each other. There's all these different aspects to chemistry. They had great chemistry the year before on the floor, off the floor. And that's why it's like, that's why we had the defensive laps or we weren't tied together. We have yeah. to get. Uh, and it's, it's, it's complicated because, you know, there's only a minute left in this first segment. We'll, we'll get yeah. more into it in the next one, but it's complicated because you're th- two of your three best defenders you were missing for like two or three months right in the middle of the year, right? Whenever Dorian and Maxi go down and then all of a sudden they both come back, then Dorian immediately gets traded and Maxi's a very limited. So yeah. like, even though you had them on the floor for a little while, you didn't with one of them. And then the other guy is like, you know, the other guy can't switch at all. And so, yeah. you know, again, this is not blaming it on the injuries. This is saying those two guys went down and their defense was ruined, like permanently yeah. ruined. The Mavs were at top. I think they were like 12th or 13th, maybe even 11th in the league when they got hurt. And they were like bottom five the rest of the year. And that, that you can't have that. You need more guys like that that can defend. Um, okay, good talk, Skin. But hey, we're not done. All right. Okay. There's more issues. There's more bones to pick and axes to grind and other expressions to uh, characterize our frustration. Coming up next on Numbers on the Boards, presented by Fanboys. Welcome back to Numbers on the Boards on Studio 41 Radio. It's 97.1 The Freak, and I'm forecasting from the past a beautiful, sunny Saturday afternoon across the metroplex if you're out there enjoying the weather then you're uh, you're welcome and if it's raining then i'm really sorry i I don't (laughs) don't know what to tell you one kind of final note on the defense skin before we talk about the other side of the ball we talked about how this season the maps just did not have enough perimeter defense they couldn't uh limit dribble penetration and then once they got into rotation situations as the defense broke down they just could not overcome that immediate uh pressure from the, from the drive. They're giving up open threes. They're giving up stuff at the basket. Things just fell apart. As a result of that, they committed a lot of fouls, right? And that's something yep. else that we we can mourn that another time. Um, here is one way that you can overcome. Let's say the Mavs don't add any other defenders, right? That's like, let's say this summer they, they strike out on everyone. They go into next season with the exact same personnel, okay. right? Here is one way that you can potentially mask some personnel issues um, and be more effective on defense. It's going to require a system change. Uh, but do you remember skin back in the day at reunion arena at one end of the stadium, they had the, uh, they had the old fashioned digital board, like almost like analog. I think there was a little guy up there inside that like would change the numbers manually. Uh, the the hustle points board. Do you remember yeah. that? Yes, of course. It had like second chance points, turnovers, fast break points, I think free throws, like those those four things. Yeah. Well, the Mavs got like cooked in all of those areas this season. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to what degree, Bobby? Well, the Mavs were a bottom 10 team in forcing turnovers. They were middle of the pack in defensive rebounds. They ranked 17th in defensive rebound rate, which is pretty good. But they ranked dead last 
in offensive rebound rate. And they also, we're going to talk about pace in a moment, but we know they didn't score a lot on the fast break either. Yeah. So I think one way to maybe overcome uh, personnel issues, right, mm-hmm. is to look at what teams like the Raptors, the Thunder, the Heat, the Cavs, the Wolves, those team rank top five in forcing turnovers. What do they do? We know, dude, you watch the Raptors, you got guys flying all over the floor. They're playing hard, and they're putting two or three or five sets of hands in the dude's face that has the ball, right? They are going to make every decision that you make just like 12% more difficult, right? And you're going to throw a pass away. They're going to jump passing lanes. They're going to take chances, force a lot of steals, get out in the open floor and score. And it's no coincidence that teams like the Raptors and the Thunder, who force a lot of turnovers, also rank top 10 in offensive rebound rate because they're just going to go at the basket every time whoever shoots, everyone's going to crash the glass. Sometimes you're going to get cooked the other way as a result, right? You got three guys crashing. Well, the Mavs already allow a lot of points in transition anyway, so why not just throw more bodies at the rim? If offense is the way you're going to win games, why not try and have more offensive chances by just going at the offensive glass? And if you have a really hard time limiting dribble penetration and limiting open shots, why not just take more chances on defense? Why play so safe? Why not just, uh, you know, as as the great Hillary Duff once sang in her classic song, why not? Why not take a crazy chance? Uh, I, I like it. And, you know, it, it needs to be certain kinds of guys. You know, here's the eyeball test. I didn't go look any of this up, but just in watching the games, one of our best offensive rebounders, even in terms of not coming up with it, but crashing and being in the mix by far is Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Watch that dude go after it. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up offensive rebounding. And, you know, we talked about, you know, getting killed on the glass. You know what a team does when, okay, there is a big uh, trend in the NBA, I don't know, five or six years ago. Everything runs together to me. Uh, and all these people are writing about the lost art of the offensive rebound. Why are teams not uh, getting offensive rebounds? Well, that's because they're committing to stopping transition. So the reverse of that is true. If the other team knows that you're not going to push the pace, you know what they can do? They can send more dudes at your glass. And so, you know, I think like aside from personnel issues, the number one thing that this team needs to do, in my opinion, and I think this is what Mark Cuban was alluding to. I don't like the way he articulated it because I think it confused everybody when he said, started talking about the take foul. Because, yo, we talked about the take foul for the first month of the season, and then I don't recall ever mentioning it again once. Yep. But what he was alluding to, and I think he probably said it in a way, you know, he's riffing and so not fully explaining his thoughts, but the idea of what the take foul is there for. The take foul is there to increase transition and increase pace. The Mavericks, based on the year before and the style that they played, We're all about we're going to defend and we're going to put the ball in Luca's hands and he's going to make every decision every time. And Luca wants a slower pace so that he can do what Luca does. He can conduct and he can position and he can run this thing and he's a maestro and he's brilliant. But they can't askew the part of basketball that makes your life easier. You can't make every single thing 
be one guy's decision and he's got to make the right decision every time. And then you have to execute on that decision. You become way too predictable and you become way too dependent upon one person. And in basketball, you have to take the easy stuff. You have to. And if you are just simply choosing not to go get easy baskets, dude, you are shooting yourself in the foot. You're giving yourself zero margin for error. And you're talking about the, the, the way the Raptors play and the way the Thunder play and that stuff. And they will concede certain things to create other easier things, right? And so there is, an, uh, you know, there's talk of chemistry. There's talk of identity. This team's identity needs to change. It's still going to be Luka. When you have one of the five greatest players in the world, you lean in on that. But now you've added Kyrie. And so that gives you a completely different dynamic. And I think the person that needs to adapt, this is not a criticism. People need to like listen to what we're saying here and not treat it like it's a Skip Bayless show. This is not a criticism, okay? This is an understanding that one of the greatest players in the world is going to need to make some concessions and some changes I think in order to be a part of a championship team, I'm not saying he's selfish. I'm not saying he's doing anything uh, wrong. No, I'm you saying, are skin because of that. Luke is going to leave now. Yeah, right. So thanks a lot. Right. Uh, I believe the main thing that Luca wants to do is stay here and win. And I think the main thing that he needs to do to win is do some slight alterations in his already MVP caliber game that'll make his life easier and make winning more accessible and consistent for this team. And we saw him do it a little bit, kind of, especially once once they got Kyrie, once Josh Green started playing a lot more minutes, we saw Luka try these sort of home run passes, right? right. You get a rebound, let, let's sling let, it ahead me, 65 feet. Let me interrupt you. It's awesome. We have to do it against teams that aren't the Rockets. Yeah. Like, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, Let's run. We're playing the Rockets. No, let's run. We're playing in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, let's exactly. Let's create a style because pace, you want to talk about chemistry and guys feeling engaged and all those things. Pace helps push chemistry because the ball is moving and then you start getting tied together in this kind of cosmic way that makes you sound like a hippie when you articulate it. But dude, I've played basketball my whole, I don't play anymore, but when everyone is involved and everyone is touching it, and you can have pace in the half court too. It yeah. doesn't mean don't take advantage of your great isolation abilities. You utilize all that stuff. You think the Warriors don't utilize all that stuff while they're using championships? They don't play one way. Like you have to master all of it and then you create opportunities and you make your life easier and you make, you make your basketball life easier. And when things are easier, you will start to flourish. That's, that's what this team missed in a big way this year, aside from their personnel issues. It's not even, I mean, it is easier, like you said, but it's also just more fun. Like yes. alley-oops are fun. Like right. transition dunks, breakaway dunks are like cool. Yes. You know? uh, if I run a go route and you hit me, and Luca is a gifted passer. I mean, whenever he tries these full court length passes, he hits dudes on the money, like in stride, it's right insane. up here. Like it's, it's so easy. That is like cool and fun and it like makes me more excited to play basketball you know like it, it, it highlights it, luca it yeah. highlights his unique abilities i mean you know he keeps getting compared to bird and magic and those kind of guys 
homie, go watch the Lakers and the Celtics play in that era. Everyone touched the ball. There was movement. Like, you know, when you're static, defenses can sit on it. And then it comes down to, all right, can this amazing player be amazing every second in order to get us over the hump? It's not a, I just don't think it's a conducive style to winning. And I don't recall the last team that won a championship playing that way. I mean, I'm racking my brain and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, here's one glimmer of hope though, in that regard, let's, let's dive into the numbers and throw them on the boards. Okay. Okay. Yep. So this season, 9.7% of the points the Mavs scored on offense came on the fast break. That's the second lowest rate in the NBA. The only team with the lower rate was the Phoenix Suns. No surprise, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they are half-court players. They're awesome half-court players, just like Luka, but they're not mm -hmm. going to get up and down the floor and run. You know. However, with Luka on the floor, so whenever Luka played, the Mavs only scored 8.8% of their points on the fast break, which is even lower than the Suns. So the Mavs had the 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 highest percentage of their points came in the half court in the whole NBA whenever Luka was on the floor. Not even close. But with Josh Green on the floor, 11.8% of their points came on the fast break. With Kyrie on the floor in only those 20 games, but still 11.9% of their points came on the fast break. And that ranks smack dab right in the middle of the league, 16th. Yeah. So it's just a little bit. It's just an extra, an extra couple buckets per game on the fast break. Um, but it do makes you, it so much easier. Do you know what uh, those determinations, what they're determining as fast break points or transition points? So see, that's the thing, because Followa brought up an interesting point the other day. He said the Mavs actually were a top 10 points per possession team in transition in the NBA and also top 10 in frequency. And I was like, there's just no way that's true because, I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. How many times did guys just go coast to coast or the Mavs gave up an early layup like nine seconds into the shot clock? That right. might not qualify as a fast break point, but it was definitely early offense as a result of poor transition defense. Yeah, and that's, that's a key. You know, that's the other key aspect of this. When you push the tempo, you can take advantage of cross matches, which, you know, when you slow it down, it allows the defense to just go, okay, cool. Uh, oh, wait, switch that before he crosses half court. You know, it's you're just not putting any pressure on the defense. Yeah, and with and, with you know, and and sorry, sorry, sorry. Green is able to hit these like home runs. Green will go coast to coast, but Kyrie is going to like consistently push the pace to a degree which, like you said, it kind of prevents the defense from getting set. Like even if the Mavs don't score a fast break point or get a a shot five seconds into the possession they're still putting themselves at an advantage because the other guys can't get in a position to defend what they know is coming. Yes. Know what's coming. And then, so the second thing is, is when you push that tempo and you have the cross match, if the basketball is in the hands of a genius, you know what he's doing? He's reading where they're about to make the adjustment and he's planning where to exploit it. That's the way Chris Paul thanks Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving. There's a few guys that read the defense in that fashion but you got to put yourself in a position to take advantage of it. And it's not crossing the half court with 16.9 on the shot clock. It's and it's not, not running your first action with like nine seconds left in the possession, dude. I mean, that's what, that's what I think you're talking about. When we yes. talked about on the last show, the distinction between pace and just like playing with a little urgency, playing with urgency, create, you can create tempo in the half court. 
Like you can do it. And I'm telling you, man, like, trust me, watching the game, you've noticed it. Pe people watching, whether they've note, whether they're analyzing why it's happening or not, they notice it. They feel it. It's got an energy to it. And that energy was very much lacking this year. And again, that's not like criticizing Luca doing what he does gave you a 60 point triple double and, and all those things. I just think you can't be just that you yeah. have to, you have to take advantage of all of these things. Every great uh, baseball pitcher skin, you and I are big baseball fans has like the fastball. And then they got something else like a slider or maybe it's a sinker or maybe it's a changeup or it's a curveball that's going to just catch you by surprise and you're not going right. to know what to do right? right and the mavs the mavs's fastball is they have one of the greatest half court players of all time yep. that is going to make the correct decision almost every single like 99% of the time and is going to make passes that nobody sees coming and you're going to get a bunch of open threes you're going to get a bunch of layups and dunks and stuff but they need some they need some off speed you know and in this yeah. case the off speed needs to be easy baskets you're also yep. preserving luka if yep. if you can get 5 6 runouts a game then luka doesn't even have to get up the court he can just chill out like josh let josh and kyrie handle this one you know let athlete x and y handle this one yeah and i also think like there's a i think just because of what the word means i think uh in you know kind of conventional basketball parlance like the way people talk about usage rate, I think they normally mistakenly talk about it. I think they're just talking about the balls in that guy's hands all the time, It's which is not what usage rate necessarily means. It's really more about the actions and the results of the actions. But the way that the popu general populace is talking about it is an accurate assessment of one of the Mavericks' issues. It can't just be reliant on this one guy every time to do every single thing. There does have to be... You know, the 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 guy who throws the 100-mile fastball, if that's all he throws, he ends up being a reliever or he's out, he's out of the league. Because if you just have one pitch, guys are going to sit on it and they're going to rock your ass. The first time they see you, you're going to blow it by them. The next time they see you, like, oh, this is all you got, huh? All right. And so the Mavericks have to have more. Speaking of time of possession, uh, Luca averaged 6.12 seconds per touch. Uh, the most in the league this year. Do you want to know who's number two on that list? Uh, Chris Paul. Jalen Brunson. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jalen Brunson, number two, and then Trey Young, number three. Ja Morant, number four. Now, the Jaw one is really interesting. Now, Ja has something that, that Luca probably will never have. It's like a 90-inch vertical leap. Mm -hmm. Super quick first step. Explosiveness and all that stuff. But we think of the Grizzlies. I, I mean, I don't know if you out there listening or watching – do this way but i think of the grizzlies as this fast um energetic team that's going to yeah. get up and down the floor and the, the ball's moving like a hot potato well that's not necessarily true jaw still holds the ball a lot but they do have this other they have this other mode like well jaw it, can do all of that stuff but they can also do this other thing too but also like and i don't have the stats in front of me and i don't watch every grizzly game i just know what i see they're uh their defensive activity and the way that they push after rebounds, I think also speaks to a lot of that as well. I mean, that is a team that plays with a lot of energy and as Rick used to call force. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Grizzlies are basically designed to beat you 
on the hustle board that we were yep. just talking about. The Mavs yep. are basically designed to win, not on the, the hustle in, board. Like, in the half court. Ignore and, the hustle board. Put a curtain and, and over they, the hustle board. And they believe that they can do that because they have a generational player mm-hmm. that can get you there. Uh, but that's not the way to win, ultimately. It can't just be him, man. And that's why all of these dudes, all of these upper crust dudes, just name them. What do they do when they get to be 26 and 27 years old? They start looking around going, geez, man, I sure have made it hard on myself. That guy's got a great situation. Imagine how many championships I'd have if I had this situation. It always takes them a little while to realize it, but they realize it eventually. Dude, get your scoring title when you're 22 or 23. That's cool. You want to win? Go play basketball yep. with these other guys that make it hard on the other team to stop you. Yeah, You know, get your glory. That's cool. But all of them, like Kevin Durant will trash a guy and when he's 26 years old for leaving his team and then two years later go, man, why didn't I do that? You know, it's just, that's the way it is. Yeah, They don't, when they're young, they don't have the experience. And so they think they can do it themselves. Man, you can't. So Skin, this might be our final show um, for a while unless the Mavs win the lottery or something, we might not talk until after the draft until after free agency. I don't really know when we're going to talk again um, in real life or on numbers on the boards. We'll have to see. It's going to be a long off season, but in the final two minutes here, the floor is yours. I want you to look into your uh, crystal basketball that I know you got handy. And I want you to tell me what the ideal in skin land what the ideal perfect Mavs offseason looks like. Obviously, you can't say specific names. Otherwise, we're going to get fined a bazillion dollars. But how do the Mavs get better? How do they get to where they need to be in one summer? Uh, the number one way, in my opinion, is uh, obviously, they. let's say they get the 10th pick in the draft, is uh, re-sign Kyrie and then use that 10th pick and then maybe a couple other assets to get a 25-year-old versatile defensive long wing uh upper crust defensive wing that can also knock down shots and maybe create off the dribble not his primary focus but if he's in that position add another big to the rotation that can protect the rim is springy block shots and also has high defensive iq and then add another what i would call third tier like uh, a guy that's very usable like a reggie bullock style guy that's on, you know, another roster right now that's just looking for a situation. If if they were able to add two wings, one of them being an upper crust guy and then another rotation big and then some other depth on the wing, uh, I think that would be an absolute home run of an offseason. More length, more athleticism. That's kind yep. of the gist that I'm getting from yes. Absolutely, man. They you got to do it. You got to do it. Even if Even if it's not an upgrade in talent, I don't think the Mavs need that much more talent um in those spots i think they need much more athleticism yes. and they need much more length they need more speed um functionality do, over talent functionality yeah, i mean over obviously talent. they do need talent but yeah like yes. you, functional being functional is talent <laughs> you know right, right. like being able to defend at a high level is talent i i don't need guys that can get me 40 i need guys that can get me 40 stops yep that was perfect skin so well said as always thank you so much for joining me thank you out there for listening for watching it is numbers on the boards. If you're listening on 97.1, don't go anywhere. The corner three is next. If you're listening or watching elsewhere, hey, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye.